Welcome to Smart Casual, Image's first fashion podcast in collaboration with Kildare Village, dealing with personal style in a way that speaks to you. Hosted by me, fashion director Marie Kelly. And me, Nevo Dunhu, Image.ie's digital leader. And me, Image Publications digital editor, Dominique McMullen. In our 20s, 30s and 40s, we're three women across three decades with three very unique perspectives. And unique ways of approaching our personal style. While fashion is always thought of as being visual, we at Image think it's much more than that. Personal style is about how clothes make us feel, the impression they create in the world and how they express who we are. There's a lot to talk about when it comes to fashion. And we certainly love a chat. Welcome to Smart Casual. Hi and welcome to episode 6 of Smart Casual. Give a woman the right pair of shoes and she can conquer the world. That's a famous quote by Marilyn Monroe and if that resonates with you then you're really going to enjoy today's episode. This week we're talking about accessories and how they help a woman define her personality. Later in the podcast we're going to be talking to none other than Shoopy Sweetman, Irish jewellery designer and entrepreneur and queen of all things sparkly. But until then, what caught your eye this week Marie? Well, this week I was really excited yesterday to see that um, Irish designer Alison Keneally has launched a collection in Bloomingdale's in New York. Um, I'm so thrilled for her. I met Alison a couple of weeks ago at the Velvet Collective, which is a, a collaborative that she's involved in with a few other Irish designers. And I looked at her pieces. I've seen her pieces before, but I looked at her current collection and it was just exquisite. Absolutely stand out amazing the kind of pieces that will stand up internationally against any other brand I mean they were so beautifully finished so well cut I just fell in love with so many of those pieces and actually particularly this amazing black um, three quarter length coat which I think is like the ultimate black coat I remember seeing it on your Insta stories on the day and I was just totally drawn to the coat. It was so immaculate. Completely fallen in love with it. But she really is a superb designer and she was she was stocked in Havana this year for the first time. And actually, I think what she said was that having that base in Havana allowed her to sell into somewhere like Bloomingdale. So it's amazing that she got the support that she needed here and that it allowed her to stretch her legs and, and move to somewhere like uh, move into somewhere like Bloomingdale. So I was just really thrilled for her. And I think it's just another example of how amazing amazing Irish design is and how well it's doing internationally. So well done, Alison. Mm. I uh, was loving Stella McCartney's wedding collection mm. this week that's just out. Uh, it's called Made With Love. And it just it's representative of her usual, really powerful, feminine, sexy kind of look um, and the beautiful silhouettes that she's so good at. Um, it's also all made from sustainable materials, um, following her kind of ethos and each dress has a little blue tag sewn into it so you have your little something blue Um, I wish she had been designing dresses when I was getting married the first one that's out has got this high neck and a really low plunging back um, that is inspired by the dress that she designed for the Duchess of Sussex for her reception Um, so it's absolutely gorgeous and as we are discussing accessories this week, it would be remiss of me not to mention Kildare Village, our wonderful sponsor. They have Prada and Mulberry handbags that I've had my eye on for Christmas down there. So I just had to get that in in case anybody who loves me is listening. <laughs> Shout out to all the family and friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and actually you can see the full Stella McCartney bridal collection on image.ie forward slash fashion. Nice. <laughs> well, caught my eye this week, actually, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole on Instagram. Um, 
it's a lovely thing is happening and I really feel that Irish women are starting this really positive trend of reusing, rewearing, upcycling their clothes in so many different ways um, and it turns out that there's actually a handful of, of ingenious women who are just taking small ideas, small changes sharing them with people on Instagram and getting people involved. So for instance, there's Sophie White is doing um, an Insta swap every Tuesday via her Insta stories where she shows different dresses that um, are free to borrow. She has literally so many gorgeous designer things uh, and she updates it every Tuesday as part of the hashtag small change Tuesday. There's Taz Kelleher who is doing weekly walkarounds of vintage shops around Dublin showing you the best buys. Couldn't believe she found a pair of Karen Millen sparkly sequin trousers reduced, brand new with tags on, reduced from 295 to 25 euro. Wow. Incredible. I know. There's so many. So you can check that out as well on image.e forward slash fashion. I will now be following all of those people. Mm. Well, I follow Sophie already, obviously, but be following everyone else on your list because they're fascinating. Yeah. So to kick off our conversation about accessorising, we thought it would be interesting if each of us identified a woman in the public eye who we really admire for her skill at accessorising and why we think she accessorises the way she does and how we think that that informs who she is and the role that she plays. And I guess I'll kick off. Um, the woman that I wanted to shout out to is the really incredible Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, she's the 85-year-old Supreme Court judge in the United States mm-hmm. Um who has fought for women's rights and gender equality her entire life, you know, through decades when that really wasn't the thing to do. And she is the queen of, of accessorising. She wears her black cloaks into court into the courtroom and accessorises them with, you know, beautiful statement necklaces, bejeweled earrings. And often she wears these gorgeous little lace gloves as well, oh, cool. kind of little doily gloves, you know, they're so cute. And actually Vogue.com wrote a really lovely piece recently about um, Ruth's love of scrunchies. Mm. Her hair is always scraped back and she wears little scrunchies in her hair. And I just think she is an absolute icon in in so many ways. And I love the fact that she has worked in such a male-dominated environment during decades when there were, she, she was actually, she's only the second woman I think ever appointed to the Supreme Court. Um, you know, during, actually, and interestingly, uh, she has degrees from Columbia and Harvard and she couldn't get a job initially because she was a woman when she qualified. So she has really um, existed in a man's world when women didn't exist in a man's world. She's never let go of her of her femininity. She's always used accessories to distinguish herself and I think to uh, create an interest in her without sort of jeopardizing her role or without undermining her position. And I think she's she's done a really, really clever thing over the years. And I, I think she's absolutely amazing. And actually, I read that she was taken into hospital this week, I think, with, with some broken ribs. But I hope um, she's well, because I think she's quite an amazing woman. And it's harder for the everyday woman who's in a job where you're confined to a uniform. How do you project your own personality? And for, for this woman in particular to be able to, you know, throw on a pair of doily gloves call it your own like imagine, like how fabulous is that it's pretty incredible and extremely mm. brave when you think she's done that through her whole career at a time when you know women were you know they were almost treated like children they yeah. were there to be you know seen and not heard and and she was the very opposite of that throughout um, her life and I, I just admire her hugely I think she she's really quite iconic in terms of her style and in terms of the role that she's played 
I'd never even heard of her. She sounds fabulous. Google her. She's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sending her all the best health. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. My woman's much closer to home. Um, Sonia Lennon and her big statement 80s sunglasses mm. that she wears. They're quite masculine, actually. Um, I was thinking as you were speaking there that Greeley accessories are, are the ultimate feminine touch mm. a lot of the time. But Sonia seems to wear these masculine glasses and she makes them her own so much. Big oversized glasses that are such a powerful statement, but don't overwhelm her, which I just think is is testament to her character, actually. Um, she also wears these gorgeous silk scarves occasionally. There was a beautiful photo shoot with her in the West of Ireland that I remember from a few years back. These gorgeous silk scarves tied around her head and standing with the kind of bog in the background. Mm-hmm. And she just looked like the most glamorous woman on the face of the earth. She'd kind of remind you of a bit of like an Irish Iris Apfel. Well, actually, yeah. And she quoted Iris Apfel recently um, when Iris said that there isn't a colour she's met that she doesn't love. So, yeah, she's definitely kind of an iris apple she just seems to be able to put together you know amazing accessories colours outfits and yet you know doesn't look like the crazy bag lady like just looks astonishing every time and she kind of actually inspired me to get my oversized glasses oh did she yeah because I was always told that like you know you need frames that fit your face and that are kind of they're there for a purpose not for a fashion statement but when I saw Sonia for the first time I was like wow yeah. she can do that I can do that she's really made can. it her own <laughs> yeah. you wear them very well Neve. Who is, who is your woman that you well, love well another uh, woman who's inspired me with her accessories the one thing that came to my mind when I was thinking about this yesterday was the suit and the hat that Jackie Kennedy wore to mm. the parade in Dallas on that faithful day, November 22nd, 1963. Um, it'll probably go down in history as one of the most recognised silhouettes of all time. It was the the pink boucle wool Chanel suit with the matching pillbox hat and the white gloves. Um, and for me, it was definitely the strawberry pink and navy trimmed pillbox hat that yeah. was just like the icing on the cake. Um, what was really interesting that days after the assassination, the the hat and the gloves went missing. Since then, the the suit itself has been donated to a museum in New York, but the family have asked that it isn't put on display until 2103 to preserve the memory of the late president and to uh, respect the wishes of the family. Mm. So I thought that was really interesting. And another interesting point was, because obviously that was such an iconic outfit, but interestingly enough, the days following the assassination... Uh, and for the millions of people watching on television and reading about it, they never knew what colour Jackie's suit or hat was because everything was in black and white. Also, it's worth pointing out that Jackie had huge say over what she wore and even sketched out uh, a lot of her designs herself. And she jokingly wrote that she ordered a million hats um, because she was afraid that the public would pauperise her without a hat on her head. Oh, how funny. <laughs> yeah, wow, like different, hats were so different times back yeah, then. Yeah, absolutely. And actually that so, so well represents the power of accessories and what they have over us and how something as simple as a hat can say so, so much without even, you know, a word spoken. And um, she obviously understood the power of it. I, I think accessories are, have this amazing way of communicating who you are and what you're about without saying a word, whether that's really subtly through, you know, a very delicate gold necklace or a big statement, chunky, you know, earring or ring. I think women... You might change the kind of clothes you wear quite a lot and how you express yourself through your clothes, but 
you much less change the type of jewellery that you wear. I think once you get into your kind of style of jewellery, whether that's like silver or, you know, arty things, mm. you tend to kind of stay there. It's really a personal thing. I know certainly for me, it's it's I only really wear very pieces that I literally just wear all the time and never take off. There's just such a power in a good accessory. Why, what, what do you never take off then? I don't. I never take off any of my jewelry. I have my. Maybe when you're like in a pool. No, no, not really. No, I t- don't even take them off in the shower. I have my like my ri- my rings are all stuff that you know mean something to me. That like my engagement ring and my wedding wedding ring, and then bangles that different people have given to me. I think that's the other thing about accessories is there's often a lot more of a sentimental attachment to them than than you would necessarily have with a dress or a pair of shoes. Although. We have talked about very sentimental, meaningful shoes. <laughs> we have. But interestingly, that's exactly the kind of the anchor hook uh, that Chupi mentions that you'll hear a little later on about mm. why she started her brand and what actually sentimentality means to her. And if you ever get a chance to look at Shoopy's wonderful hands, you will see the amount of diamonds. But everyone has like this beautiful, touching story behind it. Mm. There's always a narrative to Shoopy's jewellery. And I think as well, like, you know, to bring it back to the women that we were talking about, I think there is such an art to an accessory that you can really, you know, make a subtle statement about who you are through a scarf or like Theresa May comes to mind with her leopard print shoes. You know, it's a way a woman can really have a power over her image, her public image. Absolutely. And I think it's especially, they're especially important to to public figures, to women in the public eye, because mm-hmm. what you don't want is your accessories or your outfit. You don't want your look to overshadow your message. And I think very often as a woman, that's what happens. Um, newspapers will write a piece not about, you know, your fabulous speech in the Commons or in the Dáil. They'll write a piece about the the jacket you wore or mm. the colour of your dress or whatever. So I think, you know, accessories allow women a really subtle way to define themselves, to project their own sense of self and their own personal style without undermining what they have to say or without drawing attention to themselves in the wrong way. It's a language really, isn't it? Completely. And I think they're also, I think accessories can also be um, a little bit of a crutch for people as well, to some extent. Um, And I mean, maybe I'm not sure if crutch is the right word as such, but I do think of Christine Lagarde with her beautiful silk scarves, which have become her signature. And I just think there must be a sense for her that, you know, I've got I've got my scarf on. I'm I'm good yeah. to go. It's it's maybe her lucky charm. It's her constant. Her con- exactly her constant. Yeah. And I do think they bring that sort of comfort or security. Yeah. Um, when you're in that kind of intimidating space. Yeah. Marie, you're such a an accessory newbie. You only got your ears pierced last year. Uh, yes, I am. Got my um, ears pierced for the first time a year ago at the age of 43. And I have to shout out to, to Mo Muse Jewellery here because really the only reason I decided to get my ears pierced was because I wanted to wear Mo Muse earrings. <laughs> really, I'd, got, I'd, I'd just been in that store so That's many times brilliant. and it's so beautiful and I, and I thought, I you know, I really need to wear those. Did it hurt? So... Not at all. No, it was hilarious. Actually, a little story, but went into Claire's accessories because that didn't know where else to go. <laughs> and these two lovely young girls um, said, sort of said to me, are, "You know, are you, are you okay? You know, are you a bit worried?" I said, "No," and they were like, "Well." <laughs> We might double gun you just in case. Oh my God, what does that mean? I didn't know what double gun <laughs> meant. So double gun me means that they go on each side, you know, with the gun and pierce my ears at the same time, oh. two girls. So I was sort of slightly bracing myself going, oh, okay, maybe this is a bigger deal than I thought it was. Oh my God. I mean, I mean, I've never given birth, so I can't, I, 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 you know, but I mean, most women my age who come in have been through a hell of a lot more than... Than, than a, you know, a double, double gunning, which was really... Can I tell you, right? 
<clears throat> my my mom, I'm sure, will be delighted to hear this, but I actually do regret stretching my earlobes because I can't wear beautiful earrings anymore. So I, I really, obviously, when I was 16, I was like, oh, it's fine. I'm never going to wear diamond earrings. And now I have the diamond earrings and I can't oh, wear them. So I know. So, well, not real. But I think I'm going to have to get my ears stitched or something. To right, yeah, you can do that. You can. It's actually, and it leaves no trace, uh, no scars or anything. And it's a very quick thing to do. Uh, I know a couple of people have gotten it done, but it means that um, you just have to wait for the lobes to heal and then you can get your ears pierced again in about another nine months. Hmm. Um, so I might have to consider well, you should do that. I, I love wearing my nice little pair of studs, I have to say. Um, what I am just thinking about here, especially when we're talking about stretching, is what we were talking about yesterday, about the history of accessories. Because my kind of small brain thought, how far back, you know, can I go? And I thought about the 80s and how I used to wear loads and loads of accessories. And Claire's accessories was my dream. <laughs> I used to go in and buy everything plastic and glittery and pink. Um, but actually, obviously, the history of accessories is... Far, far, far longer than the 80s. Um, and Neve, you found some really interesting pieces that go back, you know, literally thousands and thousands of years. Yeah, it's it's really difficult to give an in-depth history lesson in a couple of seconds. But um, the earliest known jewellery discovery was made by Neanderthals living in Europe. And it dates back 115,000 years. Amazing. Uh, and these pieces included beads made from perforated ostrich eggs, um, seashells, mother of pearl, rock, stones, basically just anything that was lying around they made into beautiful things. And isn't it amazing that we still have pieces today made from the same materials? But mother Pearl is probably like one of my favourite things but even like when you're walking on the beach at the mm. weekends or whatever and you you look at all the shells and you're like I can actually make so much with that and mm. even um, in the last year particularly you had all of the high street stores uh, reimagining the, the, the seashell trend mm. you had seashells everywhere so next time you're on a beach pick up a few uh, but then away from that then uh, moving into the, like more of the, the Stone Age the Bronze Age is when like Irish Celtic design really came to the forefront you had like mm. the Torque designs and that, that that's really like infamous with with Celtic heritage and Irish design and you still see that continued up to um, to modern design as well. Yeah, like clatter rings even. They're I think everybody are... has had a clatter ring at some stage yeah. in their yeah. life. Yeah, But I think over the last few years uh, Gucci and Alessandro Michelle particularly at Gucci has, has pretty much kind of reimagined what luxury accessories um, mean to us. I mean, he's made goofy glasses the coolest thing Mm. on the planet, you know. And I found over the last few seasons, a lot of the really elaborate sort of neck pieces um, on the Gucci catwalk are actually, they're, they look costume. They do. Yeah, and I, but they're not, see, I think it's probably because we've gotten to a point now where, you know, diamonds and really expensive jewellery can be reproduced so easily that you it's gotten kind of to a, to a point where there's no point in going and necessarily investing all the time in big pieces. So where do you go next? Agreed. You tip it on its head. Agreed. You do something totally different. It's the proverbial fashion backlash, isn't it? Yeah. You know, which happens every, every now and then. And I think you're right. I think when you get to a point where almost no one can distinguish what's real or what's not, mm. it doesn't matter. I yeah. think that's such an issue though. Like it's so easy to walk into a department store and, and buy an, a branded piece of jewellery that's essentially just a piece of copper um, and it, it's just um, plated 
and you're paying triple the price because of of the label attached to it. But then you could walk into, you know, a small designer and get something made with pure gold for pretty much the same price. And it has more more meaning, more value. It just makes more sense, I think. I I think how we look at jewellery has changed in terms of um, a lot of us aren't looking for diamonds or for precious jewels. I mean, Perspex is, you know, Mm. A, a huge sort of fabric that's used or material rather that's used um, in making jewellery and I guess I would lean much more towards sort of uh, contemporary pieces. Mm, you that. always come in with really interesting like wood and I mean, right now you're wearing bog earrings. Right now I'm wearing earrings that are made from 8,000 year old bog oak and they're actually um, an Irish label called Lecco and Lecco um, which I'm a big fan of but I, I mean apart from the fact that I like the texture I like, I like that idea of using something completely industrial mm. or um, not precious and it not beautiful and, and making it into something, yeah, something beautiful. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think how women view accessories has changed a lot. I think, you know, it's not about the most glitzy sort of glamorous piece anymore. It's it's about something more. And I think that's, you know, I think that's why a lot of women are starting to buy at um, auctions, starting to buy jewellery at auctions, because they want they want something more than just the value piece. They want the heritage, the history behind the value piece. Yeah, you know? yeah. So everyone, we all want a story, don't we? So I was just talking about my jewellery with each piece has a story. And that's why I love them so much. Mm. And I think women are starting to look for that more in the jewellery that they're buying. Like the ring that I actually have, my engagement ring, is my husband's great granny's engagement ring. And I absolutely could not love it anymore. And it wouldn't be a ring that I would have picked out myself at all. But I went and I got it refitted, which is something that you can really easily do Mm. with jewellery, especially if you have pieces handed down to you. I went and I got it fitted to me. I got a little redesign. I got to get the stones taken out and put back in again because they were all just about to fall out, which would have been terrifying had I been wearing it but it's those little stories that that mean so much about the jewellery that I wear and that is why I love it and I think women today want something original and different and 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 with meaning you know I, I think the same kind of applies to handbags as well in that you know women hand handbags down mm. to their to their children and I think there is something much nicer about perhaps going to a vintage store or a second-hand store and buying a beautiful handbag from a designer label, but knowing that it's been loved and used and it's it's had its own life before it came to you. I quite like that idea rather than perhaps buying something brand new and pristine. And often a leather handbag will look much better after a few years. They, a, a good quality leather handbag will distress beautifully. Yeah. But it's the same with diamonds and I'll be the first person to put my hand up and say I've never been really into diamonds or sparkly things. Um, I own two things that have been handed down to me and I love them dearly but they're not necessarily bling pieces. But after speaking to Shupi, my arm is completely twisted because I now see the reason behind like why you'd buy a diamond ring and yes there's the the romance side and the beautiful happily ever after but it's also really empowering she's told me about stories of women coming in where they've gotten uh, the work promotion or they've just had divorce and they want to start new and the first thing they do is buy themselves a diamond and it's a self self congratulations i think um and it's really empowering. And so I, I actually ended up going into Shoopy's store after our chat and looking at all the diamonds and going, oh, God, I think I'll think I'll buy that when I get the big promotion. In saying all this to, today, though, Joe, I think there still is such a kind of 
uh, like cheaper statement jewelry thing that's been happening as well. You, I think that yeah, I think that'll always yeah. that'll always exist because it's 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 a great way to be playful. Yeah. Costume jewelry is how you discover your accessories personality I guess yeah, you absolutely. know by, by playing around I mean I would have when I was younger I would have been all about statement necklaces would have always worn statement necklaces less so now I guess I'm more about earrings at the moment kind of varies I, I'm not I'm, I'm more of a minimalist probably when it comes to, to jewellery so I'll only have so much going on at one time but I do think costume jewellery is essential to, to playing around to finding out who you are and, yeah. and, and what you want to be Like who hasn't when they were a kid dug into their mother's jewellery oh, box yes. and like covered themselves and put on the high heels yeah. and stood in the mirror. Absolutely. <laughs> and the, the clicky clacky plastic shoes that yeah. you get. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, Marie, you were saying yesterday, which I thought was fascinating, that the age of the selfie has meant mm. that people are wearing a lot more jewellery and statement jewellery around their face. It's so funny. It's that this world we live in now where, you know, you're all, a lot of us are visible all the time. You're Skyping rather than necessarily taking a call. Um, people are taking selfies all the time. There's lots of video being thrown up on mm. social media. We're also visible all the time, particularly our faces. And and I think it's a way um, for women to, I guess, just sort of put their best foot forward a little bit and, mm. and to feel, you know, pulled together, mm. even though they may be in baggy jeans and, you know, whatever, and they don't want a full face of makeup on. But, you know, you throw on a cool pair of earrings or, you know, a great necklace. And again, it, it just expresses something about who you are and it gives a it gives a sense of your personality without actually having to make much of an effort or dress mm. head to toe or put on a red lip or whatever. It's it's another way. I always think um, do, uh, sort of earrings have become the new red lip a little bit. Yeah, like Instagram is is, is responsible for the big statement, you know, Definitely. chandelier earring trend. For sure. It's kind yeah. of amazing. It is. It's interesting, isn't it? How jewellery trends evolve yeah. via Instagram, Instagram culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, like yet again, you see the impact of social media on our yeah, on our lives. It's one of my favorite things, though, to discover. The discovery tool on Instagram is, is so good for for finding new brands like that. Like some mm. of my yeah. my favorite brands, which I also have on Image.ie for its fashion, um, have all come from Instagram, and that's where they've originated. And, and now you can like literally buy through the app. Uh, it's really really interesting. It is a great place to discover mm. new new brands for sure. Um, and that brings us nicely on to our interview for today. And Neve, you had a lovely chat with Chupi. Yeah, I had a lovely chat with Chupi, but I won't give too much away. So sit back and have a listen. You're listening to Smart Casual, Image's first fashion podcast in partnership with Kildare Village. I'm sitting with jewellery royalty. For those of you who don't know Chupi Sweetman, she's recognised as one of Ireland's best jewellery designers. She has been designing and creating since she was five years old, inspired by her native Wicklow and all things wild, which continue to influence her designs to this day. But you've done many other things before growing your now worldwide jewellery brand. You've been a cookbook writer, a fashion designer. Tell me about your career and what it's like to be both a businesswoman and a creative. And have they jarred with each other in any way? Neve, after that sort of introduction, I don't even know where to start. Jewellery royalty, I'm going to put that on my business cards from now on. <laughs> so I think it's a really interesting juxtaposition between the idea of being creative and the idea of running a business. And for me, I certainly felt like I struggled with that for a really long time. So I was a designer for Topshop and that was where I, I found myself and found my wings. I was 21. I got scouted into work for Topshop and it was the dream. So when I went to work for them, I thought that I would find the perfect business partner. And I think a lot of creative people do. You know, you spend a long time thinking one day you're going to meet the perfect business partner and you're going to get to do all the creative things. But reality is much more complicated and actually much more fun. 
I think I really found myself. So I quit Topshop at a quarter life crisis, which is the only, I really recommend it. I was 27. I realised I wasn't in love with fast fashion anymore and I wanted to do something with meaning, something that mattered. So I quit working for Topshop and became a jewellery designer and started making really beautiful pieces in Ireland. And I found myself, and I also found that I loved the business side of it too. Because business is such a dirty word, but why does it have to be? Business is how we make magic. So we have... We were just talking before we started recording and we were saying that like, right, we have 27 people on our team. This year for Christmas, we'll be making 18,000 pieces of jewellery to touch 18,000 hearts. Yeah. That's business, but it's an amazing metric and it's what makes it possible to have a company based in Ireland with 27 people on the team is the fact that I love not only making the things, but why it's made and how it's made. And you make business so accessible and beautiful. Like sometimes I think when we think of business, it's it's a bit of a dirty word. But you you break the boundary of that and you're such a, a soft and gentle person. But yet you still, the numbers are the magic for you as well at the end of the day. And that really comes across, but in a very gentle and distinct way. So it's a really interesting challenge that you're raising there. The idea that can you be a good, kind person who also happens to, to be a businesswoman and especially a businesswoman. I think there's a real challenge for us. Like we were brought up in the era of, that we're all supposed to be Margaret Thatcher. You know, this idea that you're supposed to be fierce and terrifying. And, and only wear grey. And and only and only want to crush people and only want to do terrible things. Whereas I think it's such an interesting idea that you can both run a really successful business and be a good person and have a soul and have a heart and care passionately. I care so much about the people who work for me. They're My team are amazing. But also about the people who've bought something that I've made and who've fallen in love with it. And that's 64 countries around the world now. And that idea that why can't we do it with soul? Why can't we do it responsibly? Why can't we do it ethically? Why can't we care about how we make and how we do? Instead of it being this kind of brutal commercial, you know, Nike-esque, you know, children in factories in Far East Asia, it's so much more interesting to be like, let's do it properly and let's do it with love and do it with soul. Before we go too deep into your fabulous jewellery, you come from an extremely eclectic family. Your mum, Rosita Sweetman, is a founding member of the Irish Women's Liberation Movement in the 70s and an amazing author. And your father, Johnny Pell, is a development economist. How have they influenced the person that you are today? I think one of the amazing things that my parents gave me, so they're very, very, very different people. And my mum is like, wants to change the world and believes in good and believes in kindness and really, really believes in magic. And mum as one of the founding members of the Irish Women's Movement, really taught my brother, so it's my brother and I, and she really taught us we were equal. We could be anything we wanted to be if we worked hard enough. And my dad is much more uh, much more defined, much more so. My, my big sister and my big brother both became economists. And my dad is like, no, but you have to go get a proper job and have a sensible you know, do the sensible, boring thing. And I think the balance in between the two of them really helped because it, it made me believe I could be both because I had these two very different people telling me two very different things. So it really drove me in, in like everyone, your parents are the greatest influence on your life. And whether that's influence for good or bad, it's not something you can decide. And I was very lucky to get two incredibly strong people, but my mum would be my driving force. She has believed in me passionately and but also sees the reality of it. Because one of the things I think about success today is that it's really lovely and it looks really easy and and I think it's one of the terrifying things for all of us is looking at people's perfect lives and you know you scroll through Instagram and you're like oh my god they have their shit together like I I don't like I'm failing at this I haven't achieved that but it's such a longer journey so it'll be 13 years since I started with Topshop in a few weeks that's 13 years I've been designing 
And my mum is amazing in that she can see, like she has been so supportive, but she's also seen what we've come through to get to where we are now. I think that's such a powerful thing to have someone who understands where you've come from and why you're doing it. And at what point when you were working in Topshop did you decide, you know what, this is not for me, I have to make the leap? I loved Topshop passionately. I really did. I was 21. So like, you know, think of yourself at 20 when you are like, all you care about is clothes and makeup and magic and like, and like getting dressed up and going out. And so getting to go and design for them at 21 was incredible. So I uh, started my own little women's wear label when I was 17. And that sounds very precocious, but I was very broke. It was a huge motivator behind it. I always wanted to, I always have loved making things. So I've had my first sewing machine when I was five. I always made stuff, but I always felt the pleasure of making something is watching someone else's reaction when they wear it, when they try it on like that. You know that moment when you stand in front of the mirror and you're wearing an amazing dress, like a life-changing dress, and you try it on, and you're like, how did I live without this? Like, how this makes me feel that moment? That's what I loved. And so that's why I started a little women's wear label when I was 17, and I was making all of my dresses. And then I got scouted by Topshop when I was 21, and it was amazing. And it was five or six years before I really fell out of love with it. It was five years. I was 26, and... um my now husband, so we're together since we're kids, so I'm 34 and we're together 18 years. So we're total babies. And he um, he proposed and I remember holding my engagement ring and thinking, I own a piece of the future. Like I, this is something one day hopefully my like great, great granddaughter is going to wear and she's going to fall in love with it. And she's going to have a piece of me and a piece of us. And I thought, I want to do that. I want to make magic. And what was the process then from going from clothing designer to making jewellery? Do you just wake up one day and suddenly have those skills or what steps did you take to acquire all of that? It's such a good question because it's such an easy, it sounds so easy. So one day I was a women's wear designer and then I was a jeweller. No, if, I ever, if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it, right? And it was it was terrifying. So I, I, I loved my job and I was really good and like I had all these amazing opportunities. But I wasn't happy. And I think there's loads of things you should be in life. You know, like I'm, I tend to be stressed. I can be overworked. I can be busy. I can be... All of those things are problems, but never bored. Like life is very short to, to spend any of your day thinking, this really isn't challenging me and this really... I'm bored. Why? You only get one life. Why don't you go live it? So I thought, okay. So I started saving like crazy. So I would have a cushion when I left. So I was saving like crazy. And then I left and I basically, it was two very, very, very tough years. Like starting a company from scratch is terrifying. But the two years in between, I went and retrained as a goldsmith. So I went out to this amazing man who actually isn't far from where we are here in Image, um, Cormac Cuff, who's a master goldsmith. And I met Janice Byrne, another master goldsmith. And I basically sort of like, apprenticed I just kind of t- kept turning up and annoying them and being like oh how does this work and I've, I've always been really inquisitive I was homeschooled when I was a kid and a huge part of that is you just are like oh how does the world work so I went and started learning how to goldsmith and how to make jewellery and that was two very tough years in that we were really 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 broke Brian and I um, but we made it work one of the most beautiful things that I love on your Instagram is you share the most gorgeous stories of all of the men and women who've bought your pieces. How special does that feel to be part of the moment? It's so ridiculously lovely because I think the engagement rings are always going to have my heart because that's why I got into why I make jewellery, why I founded Shoopy, why I wanted it to matter was engagements because Brian, I remember the moment when he was down on one knee and it was in Montpellier in the south of France at midnight in the middle of a wine festival and I remember the moment, it felt like the whole world stopped and he was down on one knee in front of me holding this ring and I just remember thinking 
oh my God, this is the start of forever. And it's funny because I was really cynical. So my parents are divorced and my dad is on his fourth marriage. So I've never really been, I was never the little girl who wanted to get married when I grew up. I never imagined the white dress or the wedding or, but it was, it was magical. And so one of the incredible things about Instagram and I really could, like I could write a whole love letter to Instagram and what it's enabled us to do and what it's enabled me to do and the people I've met. But it's hearing the stories of why. So from all over the world, like I woke up the other morning and um, it was just a, a picture of out a hotel window on looking out at the sea. And it said, I'm going for the walk now. And it was from a guy who I've been helping pick his engagement ring. And he was, I was the only person in the world who knew that he was about to walk out into the beach and propose to his girl. And like, how can you beat that? And then a few hours later, I get this, like it was in the evening and I get this picture of the two of them standing on the, on the beach, like not like the perfect pose because we all see the Pinterest perfect yeah. proposals. It wasn't the Pinterest perfect one. It was magical and real and they're like hot and tired and just gloriously, gloriously happy and the smile saying thank you. My cheeks are hurting from <laughs> smiling so much. <laughs> your personal style is so in line with your brand. Did that happen naturally or how did that evolve? I think I think that's one of the things about creating, um, getting to create. So we we built the company really, really slowly. So it's my mum always says we were an overnight success. It only took thirteen years. So it wasn't like I I went and went to a branding agency. And, and I think for anyone who wants to start their own company, it can feel like you have to start everything today. And everyone else has achieved so much, but we did it so slowly. So five years ago was me working out of my spare room with my with my little pliers and making one necklace. And then as we grew. We, we, you know, we sold enough jewellery to be able to afford to buy a printer. And that was a really exciting moment. I remember being like, yes, our own printer. And then we sold enough jewellery. to. I remember the first person we hired and I remember how afraid I was and I remember how big that was. Having one person come work for me was terrifying. And then as we grew, I grew with it. So I feel like the company, like Chupi and I have grown up together. And what's your relationship like with your wardrobe? You have just always worn glittery skirts and beautiful cashmere and beautiful shoes and always had your nails perfect has it always been that way so my mum said there's um there was a pair of red shoes when I was about three that I just loved red patent shoe red patent leather shoes and she said I she could not get them away from me like my feet were growing and I'd grown out of them mum kept hiding them she threw them in the bin I fished them out again I've always loved beautiful things I love design and I always think of clothes are just another way of expressing it but I wasn't always comfortable so I was horrifically shy when I was kind of 14, 15, 16, like to the point that I could go out and hang out, go out and hang out with my cousin and she'd take me out with her friends when I was about 15. And I remember just being so shy one day, not being able to say a word to them. Like literally the whole day, I didn't say a single thing. And they were so sweet and they were, they're all two or three years older and they were really kind and they took care of me. And I kind of had went through that whole thing of just being really afraid and thinking, oh, I'll just wear what's safe. I'll wear what everyone else is wearing. Life is very short to be wearing boring clothes. Like when there's when there's beautiful things to be worn and loved, and especially clothing. I don't know if you've seen that meme doing the rounds, and it's like I, I'm so much happier when I like my outfit, and it's true. I, and especially, it's not. And I think it's also that transition for all of us as women to be really okay with the fact that we adore our clothes. That's part of it. It's part of who we are. It doesn't change it. You can be bloody brilliant at what you do and still care passionately about whether you've got the coolest shoes in the world. Coco Chanel once famously said that before you leave the house, look in the mirror and take one thing off. Oh, what a terrible advice. That's so boring. <laughs> that answers that oh, question. no. It, like, oh, like, I don't know. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be Coco Chanel or do you want to be Beyonce? You know, pick your side. How much more amazing to be super... Uh, yeah. Like, it's funny. I'm actually... I'm not that... I Like, I, I'm not that... I don't believe in wearing all of the things, but I do love the idea of things... Be, of pieces becoming part of your story. And how boring to be very minimalist. Like, I've noticed, as as I've known you for a couple of years now, you always have 
a set of particular rings on on one hand and another ring on the other. What are your favourite pieces and what's the story behind some of those beautiful gems? They're so sparkly. So, yeah, and that's why it's probably my complete aversion to minimalism. Like my na- I tend to have a gold glitter manicure. So I always get my nails done in gold glitter and it's for those practical reasons. It's because I use a saw every day. So like if, you, if your saw slips and it goes into your nail, not very good. But if it goes into your gold glitter nail, you're totally sorted. And I love the feeling of like, they just make me feel better and I smile when I look at them. But I wear, so on my right hand, I wear a heart. So it's called my love heart. And I wear a love heart on my right hand because I was born on Valentine's Day. And so I was a Valentine's baby. And I always feel so grateful for my mum to not having called me Valentine and having called me Cheapy. And she and I both have the heart. So she and I both wear one and it's a really nice connection to her. And it was one of the... One of the very first pieces I designed was the heart. And I remember I sketched it on my hand using pencil and I couldn't quite figure out what I wanted. And then I was just drawing on my hand in pencil and I traced the pencil in gold. And I remember thinking, that's it. That's mine. And I love the simplicity of it. And it feels like part of me. And then it represents all the people I love and I miss. And then I wear, I really love the idea. So jewellery is about heirlooms. Like it's about marking moments and about each piece belonging to something. So I wear my engagement ring from Brian. And then I have my wedding band, which is two little tiny bands for representing the two of us. And then it joins into one at the back. I have a diamond eternity because we were together 18 years in April, which is over half my life, just terrifying and amazing. And then I also have my own diamonds. And Brian thinks this is really funny because he's like, but I, I got you a diamond engagement ring. Surely that. That's like, that's it done. And what I wanted instead was I wanted diamonds that felt mine. I love the idea. I meet all these incredible women every day whenever we're doing a pop-up shop anywhere in the world. And they're like, oh, that's really beautiful. You know, I'm waiting for my boyfriend to buy it for me or I'm waiting for my husband to buy it for me. And I think it's, I, and then I meet all these incredible women who have just gone and gotten, like gotten something for themselves. We're at a real like turning point for feminism and for women about equality is about not only the right to do things but the responsibility to do them so if you want a beautiful diamond ring it's okay to go get it for yourself and I mean it, of course it's lovely to be gifted it, but there is that real sense of empowerment you're like do you Absolutely. know what? I worked all those hours yeah. for this I'm going to treat myself yeah. and, and it's part of my story and part of who I am and what I do and, and not to be waiting on the boy they have lots of things to be doing and there's lots of things you guys should be doing or waiting on the girl but waiting on someone you love to gift it when maybe some things should be ours and they should just belong to us Grey diamonds are particularly special to you, right? And not a lot of jewellers are using them. Can you tell me a bit about grey diamonds? So I'm totally in love with grey diamonds. So Brian proposed with my engagement ring is a grey diamond. And I absolutely adore them. So diamonds come in every colour from the classic white sparklers you think of, like the Tiffany white, all the way up to jet black. And then all the colours in between. So they come in dark grey, light grey. They come in yellows and pinks and blues. But we tend to mostly prize the white ones, which are amazing. But there's something magical. So grey diamonds are this incredible hue of different colours. So each one is completely unique. And they're also much more ethical because buying a grey diamond, you're buying something that hasn't entered into the mainstream, has come has come differently sourced. They're a much more responsible way of diamond buying. And it's not about guilt for the things you own. It's not about feeling shame if you own a white diamond or shame if you want a white diamond. It's about the excitement of owning with a grey diamond. It's completely unique. So each one we make, so we'll have made maybe around something in the region of two or three hundred grey diamonds this year and each one of them will be have been completely different. So they're literally one in a million. One in a million. So diamonds are a million years old. So each diamond was made between one to three million years ago and they come up to the Earth's surface through volcano, volcanic events that push them up to the surface and when they find a vent, that's your diamond. It's already been formed a million years ago and you can't change it and you 
like it's just yours and that's how amazing then when you pass it on as an heirloom that you're going to want to tell your daughter the story of where your diamond came from and why it's so unique I just think that's incredible So you've mentioned ethics a couple of times now um, and I know it's something that's very close to your heart and particularly with Atrium and you have a really exciting cashmere project coming up very soon Absolutely launching hopefully next week ridiculously soon so we should be live for the beginning of November So everybody seems to have a cashmere, but what's different about your cashmere? So I think one of the really important things, so Atrium is my other baby. uh, Kate Kate Nolan and I, Kate who's ex, um, ex Primark, ex Awear, and I'm ex Topshop between us. We've done all of the fast fashion you could possibly want. So Kate and I founded Atrium in Paris Court Townhouse in South William Street, which is our store, two years ago because we came back from London Fashion Week and we were like, we wanted to build a home for Irish design and for beautiful things made well. I think both of us having come through a career of very fast, very disposable clothing, wanted to do something that had more meaning. And so with Atrium, we met this incredible cashmere brand who are based in London and Nepal and called AIM. And what AIM are doing for us is they're creating cashmere and cashmere and alpaca jumpers made in Nepal in the foothills of the Himalayas by a women's co-op where they fund the education of the women's children who work, the women who work in the co-op, they fund the education of their kids, they produce it ethically, sustainably, responsibly and so we've designed our first cashmere collection which is launching in 10 days. It's beautiful. I'm so excited and it's such an important thing to do because I think again you can get caught up in the guilt, you know, like oh, you know, by saying that we need to be buying ethically, we're going. We can't shop in Zara. We can, of course. You, of course, there's always going to be. I'm sitting here wearing Zara shorts. There's, but I'm also wearing my cashmere jumper that was made with love. And how exciting to be able to mix those two things in and and make a difference. Because how we buy is one of the most powerful things we can do. That we decide where and how we spend our money. Because that's how brands listen. It's why big. It's how big commercial decisions are made. They listen to where we'll make our choices. And it's how we make that positive change as well. Because you do have a responsibility. You are putting a message out there with particularly like jewelry and now going into clothing. Absolutely. So how how has that translated to your buyers? It's been it's been so amazing and so exciting, and it's something we really so we really talk about with GP. How do we say? By you know, care about it without going making anyone feel guilty. So I think it's about like it's about considered luxury. It's not just about that kind of like the, everyone loves the Zara payday hit. It's amazing, you know, the go in the treat yourself, the pennies basket of beautiful little things. It's such a lovely. It's it's a hit. But if when you're thinking about getting something that matters and where you want your money to be spent and how you want the people who make the things for you, how you want them their lives to be affected, it's such a powerful thing with with how we make the jewelry. So there's 27 of us on the team who make it possible and then we have another about 25 indirectly employed so there's about 50 people in Ireland making chupi jewellery which is just insane so every time you buy something that's 50 jobs you're touching 50 lives you're making a difference to 50 people who may not be working here if it wasn't for if it wasn't for you buying that ring today in Ireland and all those decisions I think it's a really exciting time to be in be in fashion and be thinking about this reformation the clothing brand or change in the world for responsible and ethical and that's what we want to do with Atrium so we've actually produced our own women's wear collection as well. So silk printed in Scotland by our brilliant designers in House Nature Room, Siobhan and Anique are amazing. So they've been designing beautiful silk dresses they're landing in in two weeks. And that's going to be lovely. So it's been a real slow burner. But for Kate and I, it's about, it's a passion project. And that's the beauty about slow fashion. It is yeah. slow, but it's supposed to be. You're supposed to take it all in and appreciate and consider everything that you're doing. Shubi, how do you stay so authentic <laughs> I don't know how to be anything else. <laughs> I know I really I like we've made some really tough decisions that have that have been so it's really interesting. 
So I, one of the big things that we decided was we were going to live in Ireland, Brian and I, and it was one of the things we feel really passionate about. So from where we live in town, all of our best friends live on the same bus route. And it's such a weird, sad thing, but I'm so excited by it. I'm like, we have, we all live on the number 14 bus and it's one of the most, one of the biggest privileges of my life to have everyone I love as close as possible. And so we wanted, to, we decided, okay, so Dublin's going to be our, have our heart and have our soul and we'll have as many people in the world as we love close to us. So why, so moving to London put a cap on the business. It meant that we would only grow to a certain size because really you should be based out of London if you, or New York if you want to change the world in fashion terms. And that was a decision I was really happy to make. Choosing to make things in Ireland changes the scope of what we can do as a brand. So everyone, it's all like I'm sick of saying it to people who walk in. Every business consultant walks in and goes, so, you know, when we, if we move the production to Asia, if we go to Turkey, we can make it matter. I don't care. I don't want to run a company of 500 people with, a, you know, a one billion quid turnover if we're making it, if we're not being responsible. If we and don't, there's no soul in it. No heart, no soul, no magic. We want, I want to be able to stand there and she's shooting this amazing project at the moment and it's the hands that made my ring. So it's the 15 pairs of hands that it takes. So when you, when you buy a ring, when you're wearing your tupi ring, that's taken 15 people to make it. So from each of us, each pair of hands that have had to be part of it, I can introduce you to each of them. I can tell you their names. I can tell you their story. I can tell you the 40 years they've spent working as a goldsmith. And that is so much more precious than all the other things you could do. And I, I think... I think those decisions come hugely from my mum. Like she, like, you know, we take for granted the women's movement now, that all the things we have around the right to vote, the right to to get divorced, the right to remarry, the right to our own homes. But those were huge challenges then. And, and I think mum just, I don't think she knew any other way to bring us up than to bring us up to believe in good. And so both my brother and I, and I are real believers in, in the right thing and the good thing. And hard graft as well. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you're so right. You know, it's one of those things. Um, so we worked, I've worked uh, sort of 70, 80 hour weeks. I cut down to only 60 this year and last year. And I have to say it's magical. Congratulations. Like you, you've no idea how good it is. <laughs> only being on that kind of like a 50, 60 hour week is so much more civilized. But we did it. I did it because I believed in it. And I really thought we could do something amazing. And also because no one believed it was possible. No better way to do something brilliant than hear self-doubt and hear doubt from everyone else going. I mean, one of my best friends said to me when I quit, he was like, you know, loads of people make jewellery. Like, I'm really not sure this is going to work. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, loads of people do make jewellery. And whatever your dream is, whatever you think it is, yeah, there's a million other designers in the world. There's a million other creatives, a million other photographers. Of course there are. But why can't you be absolutely bloody brilliant if you're willing to work hard enough and care enough and do it with enough passion? And on that note, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> well, we are very excited for popping up in Macy's for Christmas in, in New York, which will be really fun. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. So we're going to be doing that and doing a gorgeous little series of pop-ups all around Ireland. So we did our first one last weekend in Kildare and it was so amazing because especially for me and the team in the studio, we are so in the studio and we're in our little buzz and we're working on all the things. But to stand in front of someone and hear their story and hear why they've fallen in love with something, that's magical. So we've got another one. We're collaborating with our wonderful friends in Folkstars. So we're doing some gorgeous pop-ups with them and we're going to take that then to London and to New York and to Sydney by the looks of it. Prepare for world domination by Shuby. And world domination from Ireland because it's 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 such a privilege to call here home and to be happy to be here. So yeah, somewhere in between the two. Shibi, thank you so much for joining us today and best of luck. Thank you very much for having me. This episode of Smart Casual was brought to you in collaboration with Kildare Village. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, make sure to rate, review and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes.